no one's going to speak up except for yourself for yourself. And you have to have the confidence. You should have the confidence and ask for what you feel is right and have them negotiate. Don't accept the first offer. Hi, visionaries. Welcome to another episode. I'm Rebecca Walcott, your host. For this week's episode, we're celebrating the power of diversity. This is my very first episode with two guests, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. My first guest is my career mentor, Karen Greenfield. To put it simply, Karen is a badass. She currently serves as a Senior Vice President of Business and Production Operations for National Geographic. She's also the executive sponsor of one of Walt Disney's business employee resource groups, Noir DC, which is dedicated to cultivating black leaders. And she's the chairperson of National Geographic Partners Diversity and Inclusion Council. I met Karen after being elected to serve on the board for Noir DC, and the rest was history. Karen is joined by Janet Vissering, who is the Senior Vice President of Program Development and Production at National Geographic Wild. Both Karen and Janet went to school at the University of Maryland, but had very different lived experiences. These incredible women have paved the way and broken stereotypes by exemplifying the importance of authenticity and lifting up others as you rise. Today, we have an honest discussion on code switching, the gender race pay gap, negotiating your salary, and discovering success in unconventional ways. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Visionaries on Apple Podcasts and you can support this podcast by going to the anchor.fm link in the description. Now let's get started. You know, as you're growing in your career and you're you're trying to transform and be the best person that you can be, and yes, you're achieving a lot, how do you uplift and bring people up with you? Because as a minority in the workspace, a lot of times you have to exert 10 times as much energy to do something than, you know, your Caucasian counterpart would. But at the same time, you also want to uplift and, and help others, especially other minorities. So, so one of the questions I got was, how do you do that? How do you uplift someone while also trying to uplift yourself? Well, uh, Rebecca, I don't know, but I, I used to call, I used to walk by Karen's office and I said, is the doctor in? Um, you know, because I would have to walk by her office as I got to my office back in the days when we actually went to an office. Karen would have a line of people at any given, like one or two people kind of hanging out because they wanted to just talk to her. And she is an extraordinary colleague that allows that you know, that openness and people to stop by and just sit down and have a chat. And I know she's done that for me. And it was, it's been a real uh, support that I don't know if I'd be here this right now, if I didn't have that angle, because as a, a woman, as a minority, um, as a diverse person, I don't know what's better to call yourself now these days, as a diverse person, you do struggle with certain things that um, I'm sorry to say a, a Caucasian person will not see or feel. And it was great to have a senior person in that role to be my doctor of, of, you know, of my ails, you know, uh, as I came to work, but uh, further to what Karen says, I think it's important. Um, I've gone out uh, and, and acknowledge if I see another Asian or even a Korean or Chinese, I, I'll go and I say, Hey, great to see you. It's great to see you in our industry. And 10 out of 10 times, 
they're flabbergasted. They're like, oh my gosh, another Asian, you know, are you creative? And um, they're excited as I am. And I know what their journey went. And we laugh about how our, you know, I laugh about how my, you know, uh, aunties, my great aunties, my 80 year old great aunties still come to me at family gathering and say, we don't see you on television. You say you work in television, but we never see you. Are you successful? And I'm like, well, I, I make shows. If you really want to wait and wait to the very end, my name might flash up for about a nanosecond, but I don't read English, so it really wouldn't be helpful. But I think acknowledging everyone in your in your workplace that you come and you say, I acknowledge your culture, I acknowledge the journey that you've gone through is really, really important. And you know, just to finish this out, I want to say how. I see you, you see me, that saying, and I probably got that backwards, is really important. We transformed our internship program between 2018 and 2019 by people like Karen and myself and other alumni of the local college uh, area in DC to go out there and recruit. We went from 25% diverse interns to, I think, did we get to 65 or 75? Yeah, 64%. 64%. We went out and advocated and we said, we work here. And I think it encouraged them. They're like, oh, I can go there. Um, so I think if you're a person of any kind of stature, even if you're not, acknowledge if you're not, your own. Exactly. I used to tell human resources that I was the welcoming committee for any new black person. Seriously, I would see them in the elevator, especially you know at, at the channels and invite them to lunch. Right. And I'm like, we need to be more welcoming to people of color because we are such and I don't like the word minority either, Janet. But the numbers are so low in regards to representation that there has to be someone there to say, I see you. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And it goes back to the power of acknowledgement. Like, I, I just, I, I shame on us if you walk past someone, um, especially if you're, the representation is as low as it is, and not not say, and, and then indeed say, I see you, by just saying, let's go to lunch, or come by my office, I want to learn more about you. It's as easy as that, and then that's how the relationships form. And, I think and that, could be, that, could be, um, that could be your mentoring relationship. Right. Yeah, I think that's it, what I got it's out a of sounding that. board. Yeah, I got a thousand million times more fulfillment doing the Bergs and doing noir and being a part of something that I thought I, I personally felt like I was making a difference and allowed to be myself a hundred percent. And I think that is genuinely what has transformed me the most while being a part of this company or you know having a job out of college is being able to finally find a place and once you feel like you have a community then you can authentically give it a hundred percent because a part of you is always hesitant that something is going to go awry or you're going to say the wrong thing or you're going to do the wrong thing or that other person is doing a way better job than you so there were so many doubts I had that being a part of finding a community and you know, finding you or Anika, someone to just say, hey, you should be part of this or you should check this out or welcome. I want you to know we have this for you. It was just so much, but also going off of that. And I really want to touch on your point before we get to the rapid fire round, because you two ladies, especially I've noticed this is you have become a spokesperson, Karen, for Black 
people at your company or John, you become a, a spokesperson for the Asian diaspora and you are now entrusted to lead the charge on everything as well as do your your day job as an executive so can we talk about you know the pressures that you have put on yourself especially Karen as you mentioned you 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 told us like you're naturally an introvert so it is a lot of energy just for you to show up every day and on top of that beyond doing you know your nine to five job description you also have so much more that you're expected to do and to teach and to entrust people so even people like you you know not everything is picture perfect. So can you really share with us some of those vulnerable moments and what that has meant to you? Absolutely. I will be extremely vulnerable and and honest. When my leader asked me to uh, lead our diversity and inclusion efforts in June of 2020, I obviously said yes. I am the only Black, well, at that time, the only Black executive at my company. And so I felt I couldn't say no, right? I, I, I couldn't. And so, it, but it changed my world. It, it, it made me work 15 hour days. I neglected my family because I sat in this office from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. constantly, Monday through Friday, as well as Saturdays and Sundays, trying to figure out how to make a cultural shift for my company, as well as working with our parent company and all that comes with, you know, being owned by a huge conglomerate company, as well as being part of a multimedia company in your own right. And there were times where I had the imposter syndrome. I used to cry at the beginning of each day because the pressure was, I I didn't know if I could sustain it at all, quite honestly. I didn't think I was good enough. I thought being the general and the diplomat was extremely challenging for me. I wanted to represent in the boardroom, um, but not let my people down outside the boardroom, right? And I, I wanted people to realize I am not a diversity and inclusion expert. I am a Black woman with common sense with my own experiences. And But what was placed on me, I was asked to be an expert. And what I want to say is it's, you know, as I am nine months, almost, well, seven months into wearing three hats, if you will, the saying, you got to be twice as good to get half of what they've got. I am living it every single day. I still think about, even though I have proven my ability to make change and still do my day job, I am still working twice as hard as my white counterpart, right? And, but it's a responsibility that I have. And I wouldn't dare give up that responsibility because if not me, then who, right? And I am a firm believer. And this is where I pull from my faith. I don't believe God places you in situations without giving you what you need to succeed. I am supposed to be here. I am supposed to feel burdened. Nothing worth having or change. uh, The evolution of change is hard. And every leader put in this situation, I'm sure, feels it to some degree. So I had to change my language. I had to change how I looked at things and say, I'm here because God put me here. And that is what gives me strength every day. I, I, I didn't accept that in the early months. 
Um, I wanted to quit and give up and say to hell with it. You, you figure it out on your own. I didn't make the problem. I can't be your only solution. But then I was like, well, if I had that attitude, how would we ever change? And I'm constantly acutely aware that everything I do is an example to somebody. And so what I choose to say is I'm going to be an example for my daughter. Everything I do is for my daughter. When she is going to be called to be a leader, I want her to see the leader in her home and not emulate it somewhere outside of her home. So that's what gives me energy. And then on top of that, you know, you come to a work where now, you know, as Karen said, people are woke to this issue. And I, I do feel like, wow, you know, I need to be that stellar, you know, you know, I am. I have to be that stellar person. It's not just a stellar executive. I need to be a stellar, diverse executive and I need to contribute accordingly. And that's a whole nother level. I am a creative by, you know, by my expertise, I'm supposed to make television show, but now I have to also add on, um, how would you feel if we did this, Janet? Uh, you know, and again, similar to Karen, I'm just giving you the logical side of what, I've experienced. And I think that's what anyone, that's the most anyone can expect. At the very least, what we're trying to be is advocates, support, um, and, and represent, uh, and, and be that extra voice. And I think it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good start. I think, you know, we need to continue uh, building other executives to come along for the ride. But uh, yeah, there, it, it's a constant evolution of who you are in order to match up to people's expectation. Yeah, I agree. And I think that anyone who has a leadership role in diversity and inclusion at their company, I think um, you have to live by the saying, give yourself oxygen first, because it is an emotionally taxing position to be in. You're constantly thinking about others and how others perceive whatever the initiative is that the company is rolling out. And so I think it is imperative for those of us who are in areas of leadership in diversity and inclusion roles to take wellness, mental wellness seriously, because it, it is emotionally taxing. It really is because you're trying to be everything to everybody. I don't know how you do it all, but like you said, you have to do it for people outside of work. This isn't just a work problem. And I would say find that person where you can have a good safe cry. I've been in Janet's office and have shed many tears about work or my personal life, right? You know, it goes back to never let them see you sweat. Well, you gotta, you gotta find one person who you can allow you to see sweat uh, because that one person, you know, can lift you up and, and give you the strength to keep carrying on. No, and I saw this picture saying, why is there no way in a work office for people to just go and cry? And I thought that was the most accurate and relatable picture I had ever seen. Because I remember my first week, like my first month, I would literally go to the bathroom, sit down on the toilet, and you know how crowded those bathrooms are. I'd be like, whoever hears me cry at this point, I do not care because I am just living my day and I need to let this cry out. But that's such a good point. Let's switch really quickly to a rapid fire question round. So really fun rapid fire questions. And since you ladies are my first 
guests, you have more than one person that I'm interviewing. I'm going to flip it on to you to answer questions about each other. So Janet, what's one word or phrase that Karen loves to say? There's too many. What what What? do I always say to you? Go big or go home. Oh, go big or go home. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you know, uh, that's fantastic. You know, or, you know, I mean, she's always, I will say uh, 99% of the time, it's always a positive, even if it's a shitty question, I'm like, what do you think? And she goes, well, you know, she always turns it around and says something, you know, well, that's fantastic, you know? So I would say go big or go home. Okay. That's a good one. And Karen, what's something weird, funny, or interesting about Janet that most people don't know? She loves Birkenstocks. Really? (laughs) Are you wearing 10 pair in every color and every material you can possibly think of? She has the suede, the leather, and the plastic. I love that. She's right. Okay, so ladies, we've been working remotely for almost a year. What is your biggest work from home life hack? I haven't put on shoes in I don't know how long. I've been wearing Ugg slippers since last March. (laughs) Janet, do you have a work from home life hack? Yes, I am all about Instacart. You know, it's nice to know that somebody's going to deliver my two cases of of of, of Perrier without me hauling my uh, butt out in the cold <laughs> or in my car, you know, and, and you know, now with, um, you know, all day Zooms and things like that, when my downtime is downtime, you know how much I like to go grocery shopping. That is no longer a pleasure to go to Costco anymore. So to me, yeah. I am all about Instacart. Who's going to bring me my, you know, 20 pounds of potatoes? Instacart is. So let's get back into it. We're going to start with a question that I've always wanted to ask you guys, which is the gender race pay gap or even just the gender pay gap in general. Now, can you tell me about your experiences with a a pay gap and how you've navigated that over the years? Because I think a lot of young professionals have a problem with negotiating their pay. And I know personally, once I had a colleague who was very transparent about what she was making and it basically caused a huge problem within our whole group because we realized just how underpaid the rest of us are. But she had negotiated and she had known someone who negotiated with our employer to basically pay her what she wanted. So, I mean, can you touch on that and your experience? And then after that, let's loop back into some actionable steps that people listening can take. Uh, Rebecca, this is, as you know, it's a very sensitive and it's it's often a confidential conversation. Um, and there's, you know, there are certain things that, you know, I um, am not the HR exp- uh, um, expert to speak on this, but what I can say and something that you touched on very clearly is that I think this goes back and I, I'm only speaking for myself, but also Karen and I have had conversations in this, you know, this topic. I think as uh, a diverse person uh, in a role, I I have many times second guessed myself. I will fight tooth and nail for my staff to get the best salary. I will go hands, I will go toe to toe. I will go, no, you do a, whatever you need to. 
but I want to know that my person that I'm hiring is getting paid. And, and Karen has seen me go to the mat for my folks. But I know, and I have to take responsibility on this one, is that I almost approached a lot of my negotiation or my own path in a very demure and humble way. It's like I've been my worst enemy, almost to say, thank you very much for having me here. Thank yeah, you for giving a new me person. a It's basically like you are not yourself when dealing with that topic. No, no. Wow. And, and a lot of times I just accepted what was given. So in the same way I negotiate a good deal for programs, okay, it's, it's like gloves off. I, got, I negotiate the best deal for my company. But I didn't take that same attitude for myself. I almost took the first step and said, thank you very much. And I was so glad to have this position, to be here, to be thankful. And culturally, you just accept what's given to you. You're respectful. And I was like, that, that's good. Okay. Now, who can I blame for that? Okay. Um, I'm not saying that it's anyone's blame, but I probably could have done a better job negotiating for myself. You know, look, if I went in to negotiate my, uh, my future, my salary and my pay and everything like I did when I negotiated for my new car, uh, who knows? Who knows? But <laughs> I often... I found in looking at my, my past, I have to take responsibility of what I want to advocate for. And I think it is, and I'm not blaming I'm being Asian or being diverse, but it is a cultural thing. And you, you almost take the, Hey, thank you. Okay. I'll go away and, and go. I wish uh, I had been more um, bold. Uh, I'm getting better now, but I think that, um, it is a position often that, you know, a lot of diverse people put themselves when they're talking about themselves, their time, their energy, their value, they second guess it. And I think, you know, I, I would say that's been something that, you know, people can look at the periphery and the playing field, but no one's going to speak up except for yourself for yourself. And you have to have the confidence. You should have the confidence and ask for for what you feel is right and have them negotiate. Don't accept the first offer. Absolutely. And I would say, know your value, know your worth and know the market. So before you negotiate, do some research, right? I've had to grow like Janet. I did not, you know, advocate for myself. I probably didn't start advocating until the last five years for myself. And it felt fantastic. Well, maybe that is one a word for me, Janet. I said it. You asked me, and you asked me, do put your hand like this too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, was, she said that's fantastic, you know, and, and that's what to me, every time I talk to Karen, it's that's fantastic, you know? Uh, and I'm like, okay, yes. But whenever I talk, okay, she said I'm going to bring it back around and say, that was fantastic. Go big or go home on yourself. How about that? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I will say it was an HR executive who I was having an offline conversation with. And I said to him what salary I thought I should earn based on my experience. Um, I've always done more, I felt, than what I got paid for. Like always. I've never felt like I was robbing the company. 
I would say more times than not, I felt like the company got way more out of me than what they ever could have paid me. And when I put a number on a piece of paper, he pushed it back and said, you are worth way more than that. Think again. And that is what made me go back to say, do your research, know your value, right? Um, although it is a heavy responsibility to be that, that diverse person um, in leadership, especially in leadership where people are expecting you to lead these diversity and inclusion efforts at your company, you can't put a dollar sign on that, right? So you also have to use strategy. What would be the optics if I chose to leave? Not saying that everyone should take that, that route. You do have to you know, earn your way up a little bit, but also know your value and don't be afraid to articulate what you think you bring to the table, especially as a diverse person in this day and age. You bring a unique perspective uh, to the workforce. You bring a, an identity, a desired identity to the workforce and companies need to start paying for that. I absolutely agree. I think so many people really are not aware of how much they are worth. And oftentimes, you know, we're told, I've been told, if you really want to get paid that much, you should leave and come back. That's the only route. And so maybe that is a sign that maybe that company isn't the best fit for you if they're not even willing to budge a bit. And that's been my experience. But going off on that to sort of recap, you know, we've talked about so many different things. I would love to know from both of you, what does success look like for you? You guys are both wives and mothers and friends and bosses and mentors. But at the end of the day, when you go to bed at night and you think, looking back, this is what was success. What does success embody for you? Oh boy, that's a that's a loaded and long journey uh, question because uh, look at, it's interesting. Um, I would say that I had this very reflective moment at the beginning of the year. And I said, what does success look like for myself? And I would say having peace and going to bed knowing um, you've done everything you can to do the best job possible and being peace at peace with that and having the confidence that, you know what, you do know what you're doing and being able to separate what you can control and what you cannot. Um, and there's a lot of in the world that you cannot control. You can't control COVID right now. You cannot control when the animal comes or doesn't. But what you need to do is say, what I can control is now some decisions after that. And um, I think having that peace uh, and confidence and also because the confidence comes with people who believe in you and let you kind of, you know, uh, give you that room. And that is a gift. And I feel like uh, I have that. I have that with my colleagues. I have people like Karen there to hold my hand. And whenever I start swaying on that confidence, I have really great people to lean on. And that has come you know, I would say more recently than in the past, or maybe I just haven't realized that, but I think success to me is being at peace with your confidence, being at peace with your decisions, being at peace with your colleagues and your job overall. And I, I think that is to me success, you know? And for me, it's like, it's an emotional question. 
um, as soon as you asked the question, I could feel the emotion welling in me because success has nothing to do with my job. Um, success for me is having my only child, who is a 16-year-old girl, um, be secure, confident, um, know that her parents have done absolutely everything they could possibly do to ensure that she succeeds and that she is happy. And if that means sitting in this office for 10 to 12 hours a day and she can hear my conversations and she writes me inspirational notes in the morning saying, mom, be that boss or have a great day, that's success. And no matter what happens the rest of the day, the fact that she wrote that note to me says that I've done something right. So it is um, watching her walk out of this door in 18 months to go to college, ready. That's success for me. Well, this has been lovely. Thank you ladies so much. No problem. Thank Thank you. you. Well, Visionaries, thanks for tuning in to another great episode. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button and follow me on my career services platform at The Connect Forward on Instagram and you can follow me at rwalk.xx. You can help support this podcast by going to the anchor.fm link in the description and clicking support. I want to give a huge thank you to Janet and Karen for coming on. Our next episode features Marvin Chow, who is the VP of Global Marketing at Google. Thank you again for all the support. Let's continue to make waves and get visionaries to number one in the Caribbean. See you next time.